0: Wonderful. Thanks, Richard. Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. 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 Great to see you all. Thank you so much for coming. Um, Really conscious that today is a day when we remember uh, those people who have died in conflicts and wars around the world. It's a sensitive day, but it's a day, isn't it, to look to Jesus. And so what we thought we'd do is we'd just pause our series that we've been doing in 2 Corinthians and we thought we'd look at a question tonight. And the question's gonna be on the screen. And it's simply this How do we respond to suffering? How do we respond to suffering? You know, we've just heard in the prayer time of wars happening in Ukraine, the Democratic Republic of Congo, so many other areas. There are conflicts happening, there are famines in East Africa. There are Christians and people from other faiths losing their lives or being imprisoned unjustly around the world. How do we respond when we hear about that, when we read about that? Maybe some people here today, you're actually from one of those regions and it's so painful. And we really feel that pain with you. But also, how do we respond when it's our suffering? When we start to experience things in life that is just so painful, and I'm sure we can all relate to times when it's been really difficult. Maybe it's a a work situation that's just making you really anxious. Or maybe it's uh, uh, your bank balance, and you're like, oh, I'm in the red, and the cost of living is going up. People keep on saying that, and it just brings that anxiety. That's a kind of suffering as well. Or what about when family relationships are really difficult? Or maybe our health fails or the health of a loved one how do we respond to suffering in our lives and so what I wanted to do was was just share a passage that I really felt God put on my heart and uh, just quickly Jesus says in this world you will have trouble Jesus hasn't returned yet but this is a message of encouragement Jesus says take heart I have overcome the world I have overcome the world. So it's good news tonight. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story from the life of David. And we're in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it'll be on the screen. But if you have a Bible, it'd be great to look at it. We're in page 301 of the kind of ready Bibles. Um, but it's on the screen as well. And just to give a little bit of background to the story, what I was going to do is give you some background. We'll read the story together. There are some pictures before that slide, actually, guys. And, uh, and then what we're going to do is I'm just going to draw out three points. So it starts off with this guy. This is, I'm sure, exactly we look like. This is King Saul. So God's people, the Israelites, this is about 2,000 or so years before Jesus came to earth. God's people we were a bit like a petulant child who says, I want one, I want what that person's got. And they were demanding a king. And so God graciously gives them a king, King Saul. And that goes okay for a time. King Saul does a good job leading God's people. But then he starts to do what I think we all naturally do, which he starts to become disobedient and he goes off. And eventually God says, I'm gonna pick a man who's after my own heart. And he picks David. And David is a boy, he's a shepherd boy, he doesn't look like much. He's out in the fields, but God picks David. And David starts doing some great things. He defeats Goliath. He's been anointed by the prophet Samuel. And uh, as he grows older, he sort of joins uh, the Israelite army and he becomes a bit of a leader. And he gathers about 600 men And they're travelling around, and they're doing great things for God and for Israel. And Saul was kind of doing things over there with his son, Jonathan. And David's doing some things over there. And and it's it's all going quite well. But Jonathan and and Saul look at what David's doing. And Saul gets really, really jealous. In fact, there's one time when Saul is like, I just want to get rid of David. And he throws a spear at David, and he tries to kill him. And David's like, "Mm, I've got to get out of here. And so they flee. David flees with his 600 men and all their wives and their children and their servants and their cattle. And he does what he shouldn't do. He goes over to the enemy land, to Gath and that kind of region there. And as he goes there, it's a little bit like, imagine if the UK, we went to war slightly randomly with Iceland. okay? And it's a little bit like me saying to my family, go on, let's go and live in Iceland. It's like, "Mm, it's probably not a good idea. It's not what God asked him to do, but he thinks it's a good idea. And I don't know about you, but I've done that a few times. Anyway, so that's how this story starts. David is in this area, and he's living in a town called Ziklag, which he's been given by the king of Gath. And uh, Ziklag, uh, there There it is. And uh, David's been away with his 600 men, and he comes back to Ziklag. And that's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it says this. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. So when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinom of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them. He answered, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this amazing story. Father, thank you for the example of David and that he's just so human and we can learn from him. And Father, would you speak through me clearly? May there be your words. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you and we ask that you would be ministering in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a pretty dramatic story, David and his mighty men, they arrive back in Ziklag and you sort of picture the scene. They arrive back and it would have been a smoking ruin, blackened, burned. Can you just imagine what that must have felt like? It's just horrendous, isn't it? No families, no servants, no cattle. It simply says they found it destroyed by fire. And their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And it's hard to comprehend what that must have been like. You know, the shock of that moment. No one's had a bad day as much as David had in that moment. And uh, David is described here as being greatly distressed. Now turn about you. It's a little bit like saying, David was miffed. David was not miffed. This was horrendous. What a moment. In fact, in the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, there's this kind of word they, they use to describe greatly distressed, which is yatzar, which means to squeeze or to bind. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before. There's something really terrible and you're just like so consumed by this situation. It's like you're in a vice and you just freeze. Such anxiety. But it gets worse. The men start to get really angry, perhaps understandably. They shouldn't be there. And the mighty men who've been with David out in battle or out certainly looking for battle, they didn't actually go into battle in the end. But they come back with David and they look at this situation. They look at lack of their wives and they start to get really angry. They should be back with the Israelites. No wonder they are so angry at this situation. They should not be there. David has led them into this terrible situation. And at this point, David kind of has a choice, right? So he can either go, oh, my situation is awful. I'm going to die. Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, no, no, no. Or he can do something else. What David does is he looks and he turns to God. He turns to God. Have a look at verse six. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. In all his pain... And in all his suffering, in all the pressure and the grief, David turns to God. It's a bit like a child having a nightmare. I don't know if you've had one of those. Our kids seem to have them quite a lot at the moment. And I remember one night when I was younger, I, I, I woke up feeling like I had spiders all over my body. And I was just like, mom. And my mom ran in. And I remember just clinging on to her in the night. And it says in this story, just like me clinging onto my mom, it says, David turns to God And he finds strength in God. It's that clinging on. And then the story goes on, verse eight. David then asks the Lord a question and he says, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? And David's pretty humble by this point. He's kind of getting that he's really not got this right. And so he says, basically, do I have a chance? Is this gonna go well for us? And the Lord in his mercy replies, yes. Go after them. The Lord's saying, you're going to win. Go for it. I am with you. I am with you. And somehow these mighty men who who are so angry, they do go with him. And about 400 of them eventually go. And the end of that chapter, which we didn't read, is this. They go after the Amalekites. They defeat them. And in verse 18, it says, David recovered everything, everything the Amalekites had taken including his two wives, nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. If that was a Hollywood film, that would be the end. It would be this dramatic moment. It's worthy, isn't it, of of putting it into a film. From, From being in deepest despair, God has restored everything. It's a bit like the Old Testament story of Job, if you know that. God restores everything. God is good. This story talks about the goodness and the mercy of God. And, you know, as we're looking at this story, we have the example of Jesus who suffered more than David suffered, who suffers more than we suffer and who offers us hope through dying and rising again. And so as we look at this story today in 2022, we look at it with hope. That as David strengthened himself in the Lord, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have access to the Father. We can be strengthened every single day. And you know what? I think just for the last few minutes, what I want to do is just look at very simply, how did David do it? What does strengthening yourself in the Lord look like? And so I think there's sort of three really quick ways. So first way, David expressed his pain to God. Number one, he expressed Dave and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. It's just like in 1 Peter 5 when Peter says, cast all your cares on him. It's probably not polite. It was just, ah. And at that moment, God helps. It kind of reminds me of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is in the garden and it says he wept tears of blood. There's that expressing where you express to God the pain of the situation, whether it's the situation on the news in the world or it's the situation that you are facing right now. We express to God, and I think that brings such joy to God that we can be so honest with him. I just have a brief story about this. And about 10 years ago, before I trained to be a um, a vicar, Um, I used to be a music teacher down in East Sussex, and I was teaching music in a prep school, and it was going okay. I'd been there for a few months, but because I was living on site and it was a boarding school, I was really, really lonely. And I remember just one night, I was was in—I don't know—I was perhaps in quite a dramatic mood. Uh, But I, I got in my car and I drove up to some hills quite late at night, sort of 11 o'clock at night, and there was the moonlight, and there were these forests and these trees, and I just went walking. And I was so lonely. And I remember I got on this hillside and I, and I just shouted to God, I'm lonely. It wasn't even a prayer of help. It was just a, ah. <laughs> and you know what? As I expressed my pain to God, something in me, it just helped. I just shouted, I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. And if someone had walked past, they might have thought it was really weird. But I expressed it to God and it really helped that's the first thing we learn we express the situation to God in the Psalms they're so honest aren't they in Psalm 13 it says how long O Lord will you forget me it's not chiswick politeness it's share your heart with God he loves it but the second thing David does is verse 7 he asks he asks Having wept, it says, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? David asked God for help. And do you know what? That's a key part of the Lord's Prayer. We often say the Lord's Prayer and we say, you know, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then we say this bit, give us this day our daily bread. I don't know about you, I'm rubbish at praying, God help, God help. It's a really important thing that we do that. Um, I found, I was on Facebook yesterday, and I just saw a really interesting example of this. Um, there's the actor, is anyone here a, friend, a fan of Friends? and watch Friends on, on TV? It's, it's a bit old now, isn't it? Most of you aren't. But anyway, Matthew Perry put out this thing in his autobiography. Famously, Matthew Perry um, has struggled with alcohol and drugs, and he wrote his biography, and he said this. He said, there was a time when I was struggling so much that eventually I cried out to God for help. He doesn't claim to be a Christian. He, he, he writes, I cried out, and he says, I felt this peace. And then Matthew Perry writes this, I had been in the presence of God. I was certain of it. And this time I had prayed for the right thing, help. Matthew Perry gets it I think we can get it Jesus invites us to ask for help and I think so often there's this thing in us isn't there this instinctive thing that we can solve situations I think God loves it when we ask for help when we say I can't do it on my own will you help me just really practically this could be as simple as I remember as a family if we ever see a police car go past or an ambulance we try and stop and we pray Lord would you help them Or it may be when we read the news, rather than just reading the news and being depressed by the situation, it's stopping and praying. It could be that when we're struggling, we pause and just say a short prayer. In our staff meetings recently, we've tried to stop at the start and pray. Sometimes we'll be in a staff meeting and the Nicola will say, let's just stop. Let's pray. Let's ask. There's something really obedient about asking. So, we express, we ask. And then finally, last thing, we're renewed. We're renewed. David expressed, he asked, and then he was renewed, which means changed. That's kind of what it is. And actually, David's situation changed, and he changed. As we come to God, we're called to come just as we are, with all our mess, but we don't leave God changed. Sorry, we don't leave God as we are. We leave God changed. Suffering will change us, and it will either make us bitter or it will prompt us to seek God. And by his spirit, we are changed. So I just thought a couple of really practical ways to be changed. Just one example is scripture. It's so obvious, isn't it? We talk about this all the time in the Bible, but it's, it's, it's true. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're anxious about money, read Ephesians 1, where it talks about how we have all riches in Christ. If you're struggling, go back to the word. It can renew your mind and change you. That's one way. Another really practical way, we don't talk about this much, but tongues, the the gift of tongues is something we can ask for. Not everyone has tongues, I I recognise that and I appreciate this isn't everyone's experience, but you can ask God for the heavenly language and it's the only gift that is used to edify ourselves. We can use it to build ourselves up. And if you're sitting here, so you think, thinking, I'm not really sure what that is. Don't worry, come have a chat with us. We'd love to chat to you about that. It's one I try and use in the mornings. That can really change us and grow us and build our spirit. But the final one, I think this is probably one of, one of the most powerful ones, is actually thankfulness. In Psalm 100, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I tested this one out yesterday. I thought I should be honest. If I'm doing this talk, I should try it. And I was feeling a bit grumpy yesterday. And so I sat on our bed upstairs when the kids were downstairs playing. I was just really tired. And I started to list things I was thankful for. And as I did it, I felt my spirit change and grow. If you're struggling, if you're suffering, thank God for the small things. It can grow us, it can change us. So those are just three ways. So David strengthened himself in the Lord. And we are invited to do the same. You tonight are invited to do the same, to be strengthened and to experience God's peace, whatever the situation. And as we do that, we grow in our intimacy with him and we worship him with all our hearts. Can I invite you to stand? And band, if you'd be happy to come to the front.